bring the whole family. This is a family thing. This isn't just adults. This isn't just kids. It's a whole family thing. That's right. It's a whole event. So I'm excited for that as well. Read the bottom there. Okay, so people of truth. In our head. <laughs> that's really a gross like, whoa, that's really hard to read. Um, <laughs> Anthony, do you know more about this? I don't really know that much about people. I do. Truth. That's our sermon oh, series. Oh, awesome. Sweet. <laughs> Into Orthodox beliefs. 
you know what? I want to say this does touch on worldview a little bit, and here we go. And this is why, because you have a worldview whether you know it or not. And there are outer things in your worldview. There are things that you believe are good, bad, right, wrong. And they're on the outside. They don't really matter a whole lot. You can kind of change those beliefs, and you don't really feel a whole lot of pain. You know, you can have someone challenge those outside beliefs, and you're not really that mad about it. But as you get closer to the center of your worldview, the difficulty in having those beliefs challenged gets intense. Okay? Let's go on a journey, shall we? Here we go. I'm going to make a bold statement. And that bold statement is, I think the rose is prettier than the tulip. I know. Who thinks roses are prettier than tulips? Let's do a show of hands. Alright, we're only going to do a show of hands for the first two. Okay, hands down. Who thinks tulips are prettier? Hands up. Excellent. Okay, is anyone mad at anybody in this room? <laughs> Justin, <laughs> you, you would have to be pretty crazy about flowers to even care, right? Somebody likes a tulip better than a rose. Well, and why? Are there any repercussions at all if you visit someone's house and they like tulips better than roses? Zero. Right? Like, you probably don't even have animosity towards the tulip if you think the rose is prettier, right? Could we go as far to say that there is a right flower and a wrong flower? No! Be quiet, Justin. You're being scientists. That doesn't make any sense because who cares? We're pretty comfortable saying that's opinion, and even though I have an opinion that does not really matter, there are zero consequences, I'm not really mad about it. Make sense? Let's go a little bit deeper. Now this is going to affect some people. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to go out on another limb here. And I'm going to say that basketball is way better than baseball. No. Okay? <laughs> Let me see baseball people. Hands up. Hands up baseball people. Okay. Alright. We got some baseball people. Basketball people. You baseball dude? Alright, man. But there are more basketball people probably. Okay. Again. Does this really, really matter? You might have stronger feelings about this than the flowers, and I hope you do, you know? There might even be some consequences, like if you get stuck watching a baseball game, that is 17 hours of your life for never getting back, right? So, but there are some mild consequences, right? But here, the consequences aren't severe, and we can start talking about good versus bad. You know, maybe somebody who likes basketball better, like me, might say that's the right choice, right? And maybe I can give you some reasons. Like it's higher scoring, it's faster paced, the games are shorter, you know? I mean, that, those make sense. But we're not going to get too inflamed about that, okay? Really. I mean, it's, it's, who cares? At the end of the day, we might have a strong opinion, but we're willing to say, that's my opinion. And it's pretty subjective. Make sense? No show of hands on this next one. We're moving deeper. We're going to get into some things that do have consequences, all right? Let's ask, who do you want to be President of the United States? No hands. Keep them down. Okay? Now, the minute we see this picture, we have some pretty strong feelings. Like, we are far removed already from the tulip versus the rose, are we not? Right? And I submit to you that's because this question, is one right or is one wrong? You might say, yes. One is right and one is wrong. I might go as far to say, is one good and one bad? And you might be so bold as to say, yes, one is good and the other is bad. So is there a correct choice? You might say, yes, there's a correct choice. 
And I might say, how do you back that up? And you might give me actual data, right? You might say, this one views the world this way, therefore he's wrong, and this one views the world this way, and therefore he's correct. And I might say, are there consequences if the other guy was president? And you would say, well, gosh, yeah, there are consequences because they can push policy. And policy affects everybody. And they have a unique vision of the country, and they're going to implement that vision, and that also will affect me. So this bothers us. We get all hot and bothered about politics, man. And while we may believe that there's a right and a wrong, even perhaps a good and a bad, does this matter ultimately? And the answer is no. Because no matter how you feel about Barack Obama or Donald Trump, neither one of them is intending to haunt you after death. Okay? <laughs> so take a deep breath. Gear down. Like, I promise you, no matter what happens, when you die, it's over. So we can go one step deeper into the world of can't we? We can go here. What do you think is right or wrong about religion? What is the right religion? Is there one? Are there bad religions? Now we're closer to the center of the worldview for most people. And this is where it really starts to matter. Okay? Because this choice has eternal consequences. If you choose wrong, that's as bad as it gets. Okay? And if you choose right, that's as good as it gets. So, some people, and I think this is fashionable now, I think most of them are pretending. I've talked to a few people that said they were atheists, and really, all but one of them were just very bitter church people. You know, but I did meet one genuine atheist. And actually, we, were, we ended up being friends. Uh, interesting story. I won't tell that now. But... Some people avoid this question, the religious question, by treating it like the flower question, right? They're like, well, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's whatever you want to believe. It's all opinion. It's entirely subjective. And this thing that actually has eternal consequences, they wave off. You know, and they might even think they're taking the high ground and not making a choice and not deciding that there is, in fact, a right belief. But that's making a choice. Because people that act that way, I'm going to use a plain analogy. It's kind of famous, but it works here. I realize that people that choose to think it doesn't really matter are acting as if life is going great. You know, it's like you're in a plane. The plane is just flying. It's going to keep flying, man. Let's just not have a rough flight, okay? Let's all get along. Let's tolerate each other. Let's coexist. Let's, you know, don't take anything too serious. You have your beliefs. I'll have mine. Live for the moment, man. You know, life's about the journey, not the destination. And let's just not get too excited about anything, because this is really all there is. We die and you're done. That is a religious choice. Whether they realize it or not, they're saying, this is the right way. But when you open your Bible, if you do, and I hope you do, frequently, you see a different picture. We're going to stick with the plain analogy. But if you opened up to the Gospel of John, and you read just a little ways past John 3.16... You would come to this, and I, I do love to point this out. This is uh, John 3, 18 and 36, squished together. Jesus says, whoever believes in him, he's talking about himself in the third person, he means himself. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And then in John 36, it says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 
option A. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath <coughs> remains, remains on him. As in, it's there now, and you're not doing anything to get rid of it. And this is a very important Orthodox belief. <laughs> this is the first one, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that he came to die for your sins, so that you can have God's wrath removed from you and be saved. Super important. Jesus cared about orthodoxy. He's like, you have to believe that I came for you. Otherwise, you stand condemned already. Which means that when a Christian is out of the world, they see this. They realize that L is not well on this plane called life. The engine is on fire and it is careening towards tragedy. This is the fire behind the evangelist, right? This is why Jesus says, look, I came to die for you because all is not well. God's wrath is on you, and I don't want that to be the case. You've got to make some choices here, man. We need some right belief. You have to believe that I'm the Son of God and I'm coming to die for you. You need to put your hope and your faith in me because I'm here to save you. That's an important truth. So let's just say you happen to be on the plane, and some people are telling you everything's fine. And some people are handing out parachutes saying the plane is on fire and we're all going to die. In that moment, would you say, well, let's just get along. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. doesn't really matter. Believe whatever you want. I reckon everybody would grab a parachute, right? You'd be real curious to look out the window and find out who was right. Truth matters. It matters. That's the big takeaway. See, I could have just said that at the beginning, but it wouldn't have had the same effect, right? Wasn't that better? Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> Jesus cared about truth. You could go as far to say that he died for it. He embodied it. He is the truth. You know, Paul was probably his right-hand guy out there doing missionary work. Paul believed in truth an awful lot as well. Paul wrote a letter called Titus. Has anybody read it? Years ago, I read the entire book of Titus to finish a message. It took like nine minutes. And I'm not sorry. I almost did it again today, but I chose not to. This is how Paul opens his book to Titus, his, his, his right-hand leader, right? Who he left in the island of Crete. And he says this, Titus 1, 1 to 3, he introduces himself. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's quite a position. And he has that position why? <laughs> To further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. The truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at this appointed season, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted in me by the command of God our Savior. I don't want to spend too much time here, but Paul is doing something very specific in his intro to Timothy. Timothy knows who Paul is. Guys, they've met once or twice. Timothy, or, excuse me, Titus is like one of his right-hand guys. He's making a point. He's saying, remember how much truth matters to me. Remember that preaching the truth to people that do not know it is the very reason that I was called by Jesus as an apostle. And remember that it's preaching the truth to people that don't know it that helps them get the hope of eternal life. It matters a lot. In Romans 10, I believe it's 10 verse 14, I actually didn't put on the slide that I should have, Paul is writing to Romans and he makes this same point. 
He's talking about how important it is that people put their faith in Jesus. But he says, how can they call on him to be saved unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they don't hear about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Tells them what? The truth, man. And when Paul is describing his call from Jesus, uh, he says that the guy who told him you know, that he was supposed to be an apostle. I forget the guy's name. Ananias, who healed him when he was blind. God goes to Ananias and says, hey, go tell him how much he has to suffer for my sake. I'm sending him to the Gentiles. And Paul interprets that here in Titus as being sent to the Gentiles to tell them the truth. Because these are people that do not know the plane is on fire. Paul sees it as his job to tell them all is not well. God's wrath remains on all of us. There is a way to escape it. His name is Jesus. He was the Son of God. He was crucified for you. I know that sounds crazy. It sounded crazy to me too, but I got knocked off my horse. Now I'm here. Believe it and be saved. It's the truth. And it matters. That's why he was doing what he was doing. The letter goes on. Paul does not want that to be his only drive. He wants to pass on that driver to other people. We move on in Titus. Titus 1, 5 through 9. He's finished his intro. He said, hello, Titus. And he says, I'm going to read a long section. <clears throat> Deep breath so I don't pass out. <laughs> <clears throat> For this reason, I left you in Crete. I love that he gets right down to business. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you, namely... If any man is above reproach, and here we're going to get into a big long list that's worthy of many sermons on its own. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, come on, quicker, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, not hospi not but hospitable. <laughs> not hospitable, I hate those people. But hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast to the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. Man, why did I just read all that when it doesn't have much to do with the truth? Because of these little commas. Are we seeing all these? This is a list. Is it well that's obvious, Anthony? Yes. But look at it this way. Paul is saying, I left you in Crete so that you could appoint leaders that meet all of this criteria. But the criteria is not the point. I use this weird translation because it's the NASB and they kind of keep the, the sentence structure of the original Greek so it's easier to see this. They have to meet all this criteria to do something. Oop, come on. So that they will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. They have to meet all this criteria so that they are ready and on their toes and acceptable to tell people the truth. And not only that, but to make sure the lies don't, lies don't gain any traction. They have to tell the truth. They have to defeat the lies. This is the primary job of a leader. And Tim, Titus didn't get off the hook either. Actually, in chapter 2, Paul makes sure that he knows, Titus, this is your calling too, big guy. Like, don't forget, this applies to you. He says in 2, 7, 8, In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine. 
Do good stuff. Make sure you're believing the right stuff, man. But do good stuff. Be dignified. Be sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Why? So that the opponent will be put to shame and have nothing bad to say about us. Live right so you can do your job, which is to tell the truth. Why does it matter? It matters because it would be unlikely that we would take financial or career advice from this guy. Right? It is unlikely that you will take health and fitness advice from this guy. It is unlikely that you will take your ethical and legal questions to this guy. Even though the information they give you may be correct. There are glaring things in the life of these people that seem to disqualify them on the face of it from giving you advice, from telling you any truth. You would have good reason not to take diet advice from Homer Simpson. It would be almost crazy to take diet advice from Homer Simpson. Why? Because he sits on his duff and drinks duff all day. His behavior doesn't line up, right, with the advice that you're looking for. Here's a hard fact. According to Paul, church leaders have to meet certain standards and qualifications so that they can do the most important thing, and that is declare the truth and refute lies. It's fair to extrapolate that and spread the goodness to all Christians. So if I read just this, it sounds like I'm only talking to myself, and that's true. But this applies to everyone. All of us need to lead lives that do not get in the way of telling people that the plane is on fire. We need to be able to tell people the truth and not have them say, yeah, but, well, you, last weekend, ah, you do this and this and this. We need to take our conduct seriously. We'll talk more about this in three weeks because the truth is so important. Does that make sense? Amen. So some of you might be thinking at this point in the message, Anthony, Are you saying that believing the truth is the most important thing? And I'm going to tell you, yes. (laughs) Yes, I am saying that. Because I believe that everything else comes from the truth. You say, well, the most important thing is showing love to one another. I don't see that as very important. Where did you learn that? Well, the Bible says, love one another. And I said, amen to that truth. It all comes from the truth. Amen? Amen. We have to know it. We have to value it. We have to tell people the truth. Because it is preeminent. There's no need to be angry. So, sometimes we start talking about the truth. This is, I'm landing the plane. The plane that's on fire is landing. Now, hopefully my servant is not the plane that's on fire. (laughs) When you start talking about the truth and the preeminence of the truth, some people get very uncomfortable. Because they equate caring about what's true and what's false with like a heartless, cold, angry legalism, you know, and they might call you a fundamentalist. We're just one of those fundamentalist people. Okay, first of all, if by fundamentalist you mean, and I hate this, this like trick, like, whoa, if you mean by that blah blah blah, then I am that, but check it out. If you believe that a fundamentalist is someone who believes there are certain things you must believe to be a Christian, yes, I will be a happy fundamentalist. I was reading Millard Erickson's uh, Systematic Theology. We got it in seminary. It was very long and very dry, but very good. And uh, Millard, which is a hilarious first name, 
He goes on, on this brief tangent right in the beginning about how some people want to criticize theology and they, they, they'll tell them, like, oh, you're just, this is just 17th century theology or that's 18th century theology. And that really bothers him because he says truth is truth. You can't put a date on it. Like, truth doesn't change. Like, they're right about some stuff in the 17th century, you know? Like, we can keep being right about that today. And then he quotes a non-conservative theologian who doesn't like fundamentalists, right? And this person kind of starts out insulting fundamentalists, and he says, I'm not a fundamentalist. You know, I think they're wrong. But he says, you know, it's we, we who don't like the fundamentalist position that are, that are separating from tradition, not them. And then he says this. This is the liberal scholar. He says, I'm sorry for anyone who attempts to argue with a fundamentalist on the basis of authority. The Bible and the Corpus Theologicum, that's all the theological writings of the church, are on the fundamentalist side. <laughs> Truth matters. There are some things we have to believe. There are some things we have to tell people so that they can believe. How can they call on him and be saved if they don't hear about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tell him? So the challenge to the person in here that may be on the fence as to whether or not they really have to, you know, fight for truth, be that internally or in an actual discussion, I hope the answer to that is settled now in your heart. Yes, it matters. It matters a whole lot. Not just for you. It matters to the people you're going to come in contact with. But for the Christians who have been Christians for a long time and... Maybe they have the first truth down. Jesus is the Son of God crucified for you and through him you have eternal life. I want to challenge all of us as well with the words of Jesus, again from the Gospel of John. And this is to close. In John 8, 31 to 32, Jesus says this. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I said earlier that believing in Jesus is the first truth you must accept. I hope everyone in here has that accepted tonight. But after that, are you learning his teaching? Are you holding to his teaching? The whole thing. Because we need to care to do that. Because it's in doing that that we know the truth. And it's the truth that continues to set us free. So truth matters. Amen? Amen. I'll be done now. Here's Leah to close. Um, yeah, I feel like, thank you for that smatter of applause, Chris. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, truth is truth. You really nailed it on the head. It's so good. And just a reminder, that's like going back to basics.